So, um, I don't want to start it so again. I feel like we start every episode with so. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, so. You know uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> we just can't uh, get rid of that habit. For episode 12, I thought that maybe something interesting we, we could get into is on design and specifically on like inclusive, inclusivity and accessibility for design. So what it means to like make something, processes, products, software, all, all of that sort of things that allow anyone from all ends of the spectrum to use it and why we should be focusing on that more and more. Right. um i think uh, in in one of our earlier episodes where we talking where we were talking about um the bias in data sets i'd brought up an example of how um yeah. there are certain hand sanitizer dispensers which are f- which they don't work for people with darker skin colors or or they don't work as well um so like that's one example i guess of like you we need more inclusive design considering the current health crisis and so on and so forth but also um there was there was this other thing of uh someone had broken a foot and they were like we thought oh yeah sorry this is this is from a tv show i was watching so one of the presenters had broken their uh, f- foot because of a car accident he got into and he's like until i had this accident i thought all the, all possible um help for those who were physically disabled had been made but it just hasn't because it's still so difficult to just get around you know yeah yeah and uh especially at mm. like at least in india i know you've you've gone you've <laughs> gone away you've moved out you've gone to the uk but like uh, still in india like it's very difficult to move around if uh all your limbs are not in perfect <laughs> yeah working order you know what i mean like it barely anything is yeah. wheelchair accessible or even if you are really slow to like cross a road or just walk around in general and have uh because we mm-hmm. don't have proper footpaths and when when we do it's just filled with all sort of obstacles that you need to jump around and move around with so it just be- it's just really difficult uh to just do normal day to day things uh if you just like not what the system thinks of as like the average yeah, person yeah i think um it's it's what um what are the terminologies there's neurotypical for like people who do not have any debilitating um mental illnesses there's also a, f- a word for like the physical thing right but <laughs> anyway I, I, but like sure getting that. back to the main point i just i just wanted to ask that but um yeah i mean even here yeah. i mean while it's a lot better there's definitely a lot more strides being made to accessibility and like people being able to like um do their regular routine even if they are impaired in some form mm-hmm. i think there's still a lot that can be done you know like um the the stairs to my accommodation you know if someone has a wheelchair it's difficult for them to get up because there's only stairs there's not like an elevator or you know a ramp and i get some of it is like space contra- constraints and so on but uh, you know again inclusivity by design right mm-hmm. like there's this one uh, thing that really stood out like i was reading this book called uh, mm-hmm. the design of everyday things 
and uh, the author goes into this concept of designing for the average man uh it, it, this is uh I, i believe like uh, there was a researcher in belgium uh mm-hmm. about 100 years ago who did this survey where he collected like uh, your physical uh, characteristic statistics like height yep. weight those kind of things attributes from a bunch of different people uh and he tried to plot it out and he realized that all of those uh, characteristics were fitting a bell curve so he sort of like came up with this concept of like designing for like the average person so if you create a product or uh, let's mm-hmm. say a car or something uh, that is perfectly built for the average person you're basically minimizing how inconvenient it will be for everyone else but the whole idea and uh, what the author really in that book uh, brought up is that when you're designing for the average person like you're basically accepting that like most of the people are going to be like spread on on two sides of that and everyone's going to have like some level of inconvenience while using this system uh instead it would be possible i mean it would be a lot easier if the designers were just to make things adjustable for different people's uh, abilities sizes and needs so just having uh the seat on a on, on like like your car seat being adjustable for height mm. and moving it forward and backward and like your back and all of those things those accommodate a lot more people than if you were to have just a fixed seat which was the older way of doing things and uh like that is just one example where that has been included but there's so many other things where uh this sort of practice has not been included and that every time you have a process or a product that is like targeting just the average person and like expects everyone else mm. to fit into it somehow you're basically making it extremely difficult or in some cases completely impossible to use that system uh outside of those uh, that's that's yeah, small and i mean this this also caters to this thing of like so we talk about visible impairments right like someone not having an arm or a leg or like you know having a fracture um and and like visible disabilities basically and obviously we need to make things more inclusive for those people but there are also a lot of invisible disabilities and i'm not even talking about like neurological problems or like mental illness um there there is there are uh, conditions like fibromyalgia which is basically you are in immense pain because uh, certain nerve clusters are just incredibly sensitive i mean super reductive i'm not a med- medical student but i guess you should be used to this by now <laughs> um but but uh, there are there are conditions like that and uh, healthcare systems be- uh, so because a lot of these people need painkillers just to function on a regular basis uh healthcare systems especially in um countries like america where there has been an opioid crisis these healthcare systems just kind of put these people as at risk for addiction um and and like it's it's a it's a crippling disability for them because they're in constant pain without these painkillers to manage it or without like other interventions um and a reliance on you know an average testing standard for like the average users pain it doesn't work out for them right 
Because like they're always gonna be it's just like something that your yeah. average person doesn't have to go through. Yeah, and like I was reading an article about it and about how um, this woman who well she has fibromyalgia I think, and her dogs were also sick, so one of her dogs had a mental illness. Um, it had anxiety and like it it needed benzodiazepines and like large quantities because of how it gets metabolized differently by dogs. Uh, and the other one um, had. Uh, had some physical impairment which caused it pain so it also needed painkillers and it also had anxiety so it also needed benzos and all of that put together since uh pet prescriptions are under the the owner's name it just you know it all led to um many physicians many pharmacists and you know all of those all the healthcare professionals uh, in her area it led to them kind of blacklisting her because it seemed like she was stocking up and drug shopping basically and, and mm. so in in this sense it's it's just that they use um i think they use some form of algorithmic um you know back end thing whatever and it it's basically a way to kind of control the opioid crisis that had hit america so badly because of whatever because of oxycontin and all i'm not going to get into it too much um and the the side effect of that was it was designed for the average person and it was designed to like reduce um opioid usage but in many cases because these people cannot get the treatment they need and it's not even it's not even just you know a temporary issue for them so they can't get the treatment they need so they they have to go shopping for like illicit stuff like heroin and fentanyl and like so many street drugs that are incredibly dangerous and this is all because the system has not yeah. been designed for the extreme ends of the bell curve right yeah and honestly that was a great example of uh, like designing mm. a system uh usually when we think of design especially inclusive design and stuff we usually think of products and like objects that we uh, usually interact with physically but the system itself can uh, be sort of exclusive uh, yeah. exclusionary in many uh, many and ways. And so. I huh. no no sorry go I, ahead go uh, ahead. Yes, yeah, I got. So I had uh, another thing that I uh, read and watched about so this cat uh, homes she has a TED talk and she describes like uh, this uh, a different definition for disability she attributes it to the, uh, mm-hmm. coming from the WHO. So traditionally we've thought of disability as uh like a personal health condition that might mm-hmm. affect you in different ways but uh, the way she brought it up was disability as being mismatched interactions between a person and the environment so that puts the entire blame of uh people not being able to use something to the design of the environment which could be the products the system uh the location all of those things so it's it, in a way it makes you think about mm. disability differently uh that any of us could be disabled and that is okay uh it's just if we have uh our systems and environment designed in a way mm. that is more inclusive then everyone can still do pretty much everything that they need to is just that we need to rethink a lot of the things to make sure that is possible i mean and to like 
from that like basically yeah. erasing like what is normal and what we currently like sort of exclude as not mm-hmm. being so normal i mean i think to borrow a bit of terminology from the moral responsibility thing i gave the onus of like the responsibility for disability is no longer on the person right because it's by circumstances they can't control it's on the system to make sure they are included yeah yeah exactly which i think it's an interesting thing um especially like so i talked about like invisible physical ailments but even mental health despite all the leaps and bounds that have been made yep. in making um things like uh depression anxiety and uh post traumatic disorder you know there's been huge leaps and bounds in normalizing these things and saying okay yeah it's fine to have these problems you know there's help you can get but there are other disorders both neurological and just mental uh disorders or illnesses if that's the better term um and and so uh things like schizophrenia and schizoid disorders are still not very well understood by the public and it's comp- it's incredibly stigmatized in a lot of countries despite all the uh, all the jumps in mental health we've made all the in all like the leaps and bounds and progress that we've had uh and then there are other neurological disorders such as you know stroke victims not like remembering things um past a certain point and like memory problems um things like dementia and so on like there's still a huge lack of inclusive design for people who have these problems you know like I, it's just something i wanted to bring up because these these are fairly pervasive issues like it's it's not like a i mean sure it's a tiny percentage of the population but when when uh, uh, the human population numbers in the billions even a tiny percentage means so many people are dis- are just excluded you know and i mean like it's also there are so many different things mm-hmm. that could ail people like it's like each of them is a significant popu- yeah. uh, population like any yeah and also it's like this the the fact that like uh, although there may be a lot of people who are permanently having to like uh, go through mm-hmm. these problems throughout their life there are a lot of both physical and mental ailments that might uh cause like uh, uh, like uh, abnormal or like uh, like uh, I shouldn't be saying that like uh, like like it might be like a temporary mm-hmm. disability uh, just because uh, let's say you broke your arm or your leg or uh, currently you're going through a mental health uh, mm-hmm. ailment that could be treated and like uh, uh, you might recover yeah. over time and over years but at this moment you might be requiring a different mm. set of needs uh, or like capabilities and we need to make sure that design covers that as well because any of us might uh pretty like most of us are going to have to face that yeah. at some point in our lives whether it's because of injuries and ailments uh, like this that might be temporary or just through old age uh deteriorating eyesight uh, bl- uh mm. deafness all of that is very very common uh sort of yeah. symptoms that uh, you'll see as you as you grow older and so. it's it's but i think a big problem is how do we how do we change the paradigm so radically you know i mean cuz it seems like a pretty radical shift from uh designing for the average you know person to designing for everyone 
it, it requires a whole different right. set of design principles altogether uh, and so how do we even start with like i i think like uh it, it obviously it's going to happen stepwise it's very difficult to expect mm. someone to suddenly uh include uh, like 100 new uh, sort of like groups of people that they haven't yet yeah. uh, been catering to but like understanding that this is something that you do need to like be considering when you're building systems products whatever that you are mm. responsible for so if it's software uh, ensuring that your software is uh, compatible with screen readers so that people who are unable to see can still use your use your system so like the way that they would uh, like move move through and and like like read a website would be a screen reader that would speak out all the different elements on screen so you need to make sure that it's easy for them to scroll and tap between different items uh like and all of that like there are very straightforward ways and mm. for you to do you just need to add an what they call an yeah, alt text yeah. on most things and make sure that uh the order of changing is uh effective and it's just understanding that this is something that you need to be mm. including in your system uh while you're making it and then it's a, it's a little bit more effort but you're also opening it up to a lot I I also want to just ask you so a lot like the healthcare thing that I was talking about earlier um that that's a completely closed and proprietary system do you think making it open source and having people you know vet the algorithm itself you know the sources where they um kind of get their data from and so on do you think having an open source system would probably help in making things more inclusive it might not solve the problem but do you think it will help i think at the very least like if people understand how mm-hmm. it works and if there are like uh sort of like pathways through which people comment and mm. provide feedback even if the creators of the system whether it's a government or any other private uh, private company does not want to completely expose all the details which i get mm. i get to some extent but at least like like uh, some sort of like Uh, external auditing to like groups uh, of diverse people uh having uh you know like th- that kind of insights but i think like the main thing is like if you have a diverse group of people within mm-hmm. your company or group while building these products and ensure that they have a voice in uh the design strategies that you take into while building it i think that this will like gradually become more inclusive it's just that a lot of things that we do now are very like sort of like uh there's mm. just a few groups of individuals uh typically very uh like like homogeneous yeah. in terms of uh, ethnicity yeah. background and race but also in sort of like physical capabilities and uh like uh neurotypicity i don't know I, yeah i mean they they're just right. neurotypical right like yeah it's but yeah i think the most important thing would be to just hire people uh of like with very very different backgrounds capabilities so 
if you're a software team, ensure that you have programmers and designers who are uh, deaf or blind, or at least have experienced mm -hmm. that or understand what it means to work with those groups. Uh, have people uh, that are at least vetting your product, if not uh, like actively designers, and I think at least try to get them to use it of people who are uh, like uh, across the spectrum of different uh, neurological disorders and see what sort of needs that they need when interacting with the system. And are you act like sufficiently mm. catering to those needs? What changes you might have to make to include that? And I think that that process as it goes on, like the, you start noticing a lot more uh, avenues yeah. that you might be missing out on or different ways that it might make it easier for like primarily that one group, but it might also open up a completely new way of work for uh, all the other people. Like um, if if more software becomes like easily uh, usable mm -hmm. through screen readers, then it might be possible for us to build more uh, products that don't really have screens and entirely uh, like allow you to like read a website or a journal or something through uh, just mm -hmm. a voice-to-text engine like uh, Siri right. or Alexa or whatever. You can com completely interact with that without having to actually mm -hmm. look at a screen. So those sort of capabilities will arise when you're just opening it up to more... Uh, I mean, you're essentially talking, you know, focus group and constantly test, you know, whether these things are good or not, basically, uh, for certain... Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of it comes with intention. Yeah, you have to like you know, actively want to thing. make that kind of difference, I guess, in how you design your products. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I, I primarily speak from a software sense just because but that's it, what I do. It applies. But a lot of this yeah, yeah. exactly applies to anything because else. Yeah. Like one thing, one thing that uh, like mm -hmm. really stood out to me is uh, the concept of like an accessible playground. Uh, because the, mm -hmm. I think it was Kat Holmes again, uh, she was talking about how the typical children's playground is so like clearly designed for kids that have two, two working arms and two working legs and able to mm. run around and jump around. Because like even a swing, you can't really use a swing if you're not yeah. holding both the ropes or chains yeah. or whatever with both your hands, like you're gonna completely lose balance. So if a kid only yeah. has one hand, it becomes really hard to even do uh, Slides, monkey that. bars, so, any of those things that we played on as children. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I actually never thought of that. So, so just because the playground mm. is built like that, it already excludes kids uh, for whatever reason mm. who are not able to do things that one specific way from even going to the playground because there's no value in it for yeah. them. I mean, but again, the, the, the difficulty comes in, you know, like, okay, so then if we are to include them, how do we make a playground that's fun for both uh, typical kids and atypical kids, right? Like, um, how, how do we do that? Because I think... I think the, there's, a, there's a lot of, like, pretty uh, fun sort of, like, games that could be built. Uh, I think it's, it's just that, like, designers haven't really uh, mm. commonly looked at that, which is why we've ended up with those. But like, 
I'm sure that if you're considering that the playground, like the sandpit, needs to be yeah, wheelchair yeah. accessible, yeah. or a, a, a swing ca- can be used with one hand, you might end up with a tire swing uh-huh. instead of uh, like a, like mm-hmm. two chain mm-hmm. swing. You know, something like that. Yeah, and I mean, speaking of playgrounds, um, like I just wanted to get into gaming a bit because uh, most controllers require the use of two hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly yeah. The next thing, like, like I. I don't think there's been like a single major con- console that has been yeah, built no, to I play with. I think the last one was like Atari you know I mean? 2600, like, <laughs> which had one button. <laughs> no, I, actually, 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 the ah, biggest yeah, one yeah. was the Wii. I, I, I like because like that entire thing yeah, is just I mean, how but you also had the Wii. Uh, I think you that also was, had the nunchuck to attach to it, which was necessary for some games. That's true. That's true. But like. For a lot of, uh, like, for, I'd mm. say for a big part of the games, you were yeah, still able enough. to play with just one hand. And yeah, that changes yeah. a lot. It, it really does, actually. Um, but, like, the big reason I kind of wanted to bring this up is there's this, um, there's this I think, Street Fighter, um, like a professional Street Fighter player who competes at, like, Evo and everything. And his name is uh, Brawly, Brawly Legs or something. So basically, he was born with um, a, f- a physical disability where his hands and legs are not fully formed. So he's basically, okay. um, like, again, I-, I don't want to sound insensitive, but for the purposes of, like, video gaming, he's basically a torso with a head, right? Like, he doesn't have any way to, like, con- no, no, no. Like, he doesn't oh. have any way to control um, a character on screen, but this guy is a professional and he 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 plays the game with his mouth like he makes button inputs okay. and um you know uh direction inputs macros everything just with his mouth and like mm-hmm. i might have sounded insensitive when i said for the purposes of gaming he's only that but it's in it's it's incredible the the kind of um combos he can pull off and just how amazing he actually is at the game despite not being typically mm-hmm. abled to play on a controller the way like a lot of did he no, did he have to no. design his own no he's using like a standard do. controller which is which is what boggles the mind right but i mean i'm yeah. just thinking you know yeah sure he was able to make inroads like this but how many more players like him exist who who may have made such a huge difference to accessibility of video games if, you know, if there were controllers that allowed them to play. Yeah, like, you don't need to have, like, all the controllers work for everyone, but just the ability to have, like, an alternate controller that is designed for one hand. Or design when yeah, you have some no choice, hand. right? Or designed to be used by your feet, or or, or just like your voice control, mm. or whatever other things, right? Like there could be different types of controllers that could be built for these. And uh, there's very few consoles that really have like a diverse type of yeah. input <laughs> systems. So. I think Nintendo's the only one who tried to innovate with the Wii, and that kind of backfired for them, I think, because it was a bit too um, innovative. And so it didn't really work that well. (laughs) (laughs) Such a weird, weird place to be when you're too innovative for anyone to understand what is going on. But I mean, like, like this, like Brawly Legs is, I mean, I think he's just, 
he's the only one I can think of off the top of my head who is able to compete mm-hmm. at a professional level with with this kind of disability but I mean I don't know how many yeah cuz the like, the skill to be yeah. able to learn how to play on a on a normal controller with your mouth sounds incredibly difficult it's not I tried doing it them. once and it was almost impossible <laughs> God. I I wasn't even trying like I wasn't even trying to play a fighting game it was just like one of those uh, really chill exploration type games where all I have to do is solve puzzles and I still couldn't do it so honestly it's just there needs to be so much more done for inclusivity in everything you know gaming even even reading you know braille books yeah. like braille is um probably the oldest or uh, not the oldest but one of the oldest ways of like making reading accessible to people who are visually impaired but even that it's mm-hmm. a, it's such a small percentage of books that get converted to braille so so again they're excluded from a large percentage of books that are made you know with be it fiction or non fiction uh it, i mean do you know like 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 i like somewhat mm-hmm. related to that i was uh recently doing some research on like trying to figure out what apps uh like on a smartphone mm-hmm. or a computer even someone could use when you have a severe visual yeah. uh impairment and there's yeah, so sad there's so little like uh there's a bunch of these like some like trying to be cool uh, mobile apps that uh, are like uh that claim to be your eyes so like that seemed to be the only sort of uh, like application that i saw that was really targeted for for oh the visually impaired where uh like you just like use the camera and it tries to use machine learning to detect what you're looking at but i was like where are the games where's the social media applications that where's the basic like, newspaper like, reading and like stuff you know like like and no, no, so i mean like so there's a lot of th- things that uh, like they w- they could just use by yeah. using the screen reader so but the thing is like what about applications that are built mm. for them mm. first uh just to make it as easy and interesting as possible for them to yeah. to use it you know what i mean like imagine using whatsapp uh, or any messaging app if you're not really able to see and you just have to like scroll through the names one yeah. by one uh it's it it allows you to do that but it's not really built for that like if you had to think of an interface that would work better uh without you having to see it i feel like there could be a significant and complete change of how you would design yeah. that yeah and i mean again if we're talking uh i mean and also like mm-hmm. so even if that is possible uh like you can still use social media messaging yeah, yeah. news news apps or all those sort of things uh with a screen reader if you're blind whatever mm-hmm. other way you want to do it but you can't play yeah. games <laughs> there's literally nothing for entertainment i mean i i was just thinking about screen readers and i think another and you know alternatives to whatsapp i guess by using like voice input and so on um but like it just got me thinking about how you know even voice input it's it's very um exclusive you know like like even amongst the yeah yeah exactly because i think what there was this really funny clip i saw a while back about uh this guy with like a really strong glaswegian accent 
uh, and like he's trying to basically set up his Bluetooth system in his in his car, and it took him no joke like five minutes, it, like an entire five minutes to set up the Bluetooth like voice recognition thing, just because his accent was so strong. Bluetooth device on, please connect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 just you know. <laughs> No, it's just like there's there's like one specific yeah. like woman voice pack that is used in every yeah, yeah, cheap yeah. Bluetooth speaker. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> but it's just um, like even even an accent recognition. So many so many so many strides need to be made because it mostly recognizes only royal pronunciation or received pronunciation, whatever RP really means. It only recognizes that and certain other like very clear accents. But the moment you have a yeah atypical one, they, yeah they've tried they've tried to open it up by having like if for English you have like I think eight nine accents where like you have like a English UK mm-hmm. English US English India but the thing is like let's just take those three uh, countries for example each of them have like yeah. a bunch of diverse accents within them and it's not really gonna work on everyone's. <laughs> No, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Speech, you know what I mean? It's... And also, like, uh, I, I haven't tested it. I don't know how well this works. It might work really well. But uh, especially in India, people have a, a tendency to code switch yeah. between languages a lot. Uh, like, say, Hindi and English, or maybe even Hindi, Tamil, English, all put together, or whatever different combination you mm. have, wherever you're from, right? And would the system actually be able to understand when you're switching between languages yeah i mean this 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 switching languages thing is another thing right like especially because uh, i think in most places of india we're at least bilingual in that even if yeah. it's not english as a second language we have hindi and tamil or like we have two languages usually and yeah, after right. a point, because we have those two languages, we just start thinking in those two or three languages that we already know. And like you said, we have a tendency to switch, but not just switch. We have a tendency to just like um, make a chimera out of these languages, basically. So so uh, like I'll yeah. I'll call up mom and I'll be talking to her and I'm like, Ma, I'm searching about going to this place, which is like I'm just thinking about it. But, you know, I've made a chimera. Yeah. And... This this kind of chimerical approach to language itself is so common in India. And that's not to say, I mean, that's just India alone. There are many other places with various dialects and so on who I'm sure have a similar tendency because it just kind of becomes natural after a point. And, you know, again, voice recognition, accent recognition, so on and so forth. It just doesn't do enough, yeah, right now. Yeah, I guess at this might be just of like uh, the state of the art of voice recognition isn't there yet, but it might get there in the next mm. couple of years. Who knows? But whatever it is, like uh, we just need to ensure that the systems allow you to to speak the way yeah. you're most natural. Uh, and just because like some people may not like may just like speak like this. It's not that. They're making like a, an effort to yeah, switch yeah. between languages. You know what I mean? Like there, there might be certain vocabulary and grammar that they want to use in one yeah. language more than the others, or they don't know 
the word for uh, something in one one language or the other and it's just natural for us to speak yeah, like that here especially i i mean i guess all of this also will probably get better the more data we have about this kind of thing yeah, uh, yeah. but you know it has to be designed from the ground up or or like it has to be included from the ground up as like a thing that the companies that make these voice recognition um softwares and modules like they have to aim for it saying okay yeah even if we can't right now we want to accept you know these kind of like language blends and these incredibly difficult accents to parse and so on and so forth it just has to be from the ground up just like i thought this might be mm-hmm. uh, somewhat interesting like because yeah. we love games so much uh like if like you had to take out uh like one ca- one a ab- uh, physical ability that you had and then had to create a game like for that market like just let's say if you were to design a game uh where you don't need to see the game uh either if you're not able to or, or like the game doesn't mm-hmm. expect you to mm-hmm. have to see any screen how would you design a game for that uh just like like quick brainstorming uh, sort of honestly thing, i've ha- i've i've been wanting to try a game which like blocks out my visual input and makes me rely only on my oral input so only what i can hear you know like yeah. footsteps around me um you know the sound of like a street all of those things just just relying on my on my hearing alone cuz i don't know i mean i'm pretty sure like yeah. in a video game we can't yet include all five of our senses we just have the two and if you take one of them out it's only right. hearing that's left but i think that way game audio has come a pretty long way to the point where like you can get a really really good sense of the environment just by hearing and and i think i'm actually not able to rem- remember which mm-hmm. uh, what's the name of the game but there actually is this uh, this really mm. really good indie game which uh, is basically it's like the in the game you are blindfolded and like like being held on at gunpoint ah. to drive a car or or like i maybe not blindfolded but it's just mm-hmm. very dark or something like that so on like in the game screen you don't really see much you're completely relying audio cues, on yeah. uh yeah. audio cues telling you like go left go mm-hmm. right there's something coming uh and you hear the other objects around you as well and you need to make decisions based on that and uh, i haven't played it yet but i just like heard that uh uh being recommended to me by someone and uh, i'll find the name and probably we'll put it in the yeah. uh, episode description but like like i think that there is a lot of like really cool games i mean i'm also just thinking you know like, the future of gaming what if what if um we are able to make human like neural uh, interlinks with machines you know once we have a neural interface i feel like creating an accessible game would be a lot easier just for the just for the simple reason that we're okay. able we would be able to like through the interface through through whatever translation happens we'd be able to tell the machine exactly what we intend and like the yeah 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 exactly exactly and it just it just like every time i think of that you know i just think of playing a pokemon game where i can actually tell the pokemon what to do instead of having just four uh, abilities at all times 
you know it it opens up right. a lot more creativity in both from the player and from the creator of the game you know you you have to be able to like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. foresee at least certain things that a player will want to do through a machine interlink uh, interface and i think that's that might be the future of gaming in like 15 20 years maybe maybe even 50 years yeah and perhaps like maybe mm-hmm. haptics or uh, some other similar type of uh, technology that uh, like prompts your like yeah. sense of touch uh, in different ways could be used to like allow you to like feel around the surface in virtual reality or uh, just different types of uh, interaction like that. perhaps even uh combination of mm. uh, those sort of things or like if uh, uh for example if you were to go back uh, and uh design a game that doesn't require uh input from your hands uh and purely let's say a voice based interface i think that there's still a lot of possibilities uh for games that you could just play uh like output through, like 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 you just like say something the things yeah, this yeah. the system speaks back to you maybe even combine that with a display perhaps uh like you mm-hmm. still want visual cues like there are a lot of uh, potentials of like like completely different ways of mm. creating entertainment that uh yeah. could be fun for everyone but also include groups that are currently being like very commonly excluded yeah. in it i mean i think uh towards the end we just kind of went into a future of gaming uh bit of thing but again it's accessibility is so important right like everyone i think everyone should have fun you know Ev- uh i think it's yeah I-, i forget where i read it but it's basically everything alive deserves a right to be happy you know and it's just accessibility brings us so close to that Yeah. So yeah. I think that's probably as good a note as any to sign off right now, I guess. So, uh this is Pranav. I think so. This is Arvind. Thanks for listening to the end. <laughs> <laughs>